we're in a series and a conversation um, this month um, on Jesus as defined by the Bible as uh, the chain breaker. We are talking about the idea that it's possible to be saved and so that your eternal uh, um, future is secure, but not to be fully set free so that your earthly journey doesn't feel free, doesn't feel liberated by Christ. And how to get there? The Bible says that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that we might have life and life in all his fullness. Uh, the, the, the devil is unable to steal, kill, and destroy in heaven. The only place he can be successful is on earth. The, uh, the Bible says that if you store up treasures in heaven, that no thief can break in, no moth can corrode, no rust can corrupt. So your treasure is gained here, but it must also be protected here. So I, I want to talk to you tonight a little about that. The specific area of interest for us tonight is to talk about how Christ sets and heals your willpower. Now, I did my rounds in Warehouse One before the service, and I'm aware that for some of us, willpower when it comes to food is flexible. <laughs> I'm not sure that's an amen moment, but I want you to know it's not that kind of willpower. I, I know that that kind of willpower is important and being able to say no to that brownie or that lemon meringue or those samosas. The samosas are quite legit. Eh? They are quite legit. Being able to say no to that and stick to some kind of plan is an important kind of willpower. But the kind I want to deal with tonight is that the Scripture is unhelpful to you if you don't want to obey it. So if I say to you, the answer to your problem is love your neighbor and you don't, you don't feel like it. You don't like your neighbor. You don't have a neighbor. You're not in the mood for forgiving, loving or caring about your neighbor. If obedience is difficult for you, just simply because you don't feel like it. How do you overcome that? How do you overcome when you know something is better that is better, is waiting for you. And the steps you need to take to get there are just something you can't find the energy for. And I want to talk to you about how that none of you has a will that is dead. Everybody in this room has a will. Your will is either working with God or against God. Not my will, but your will be done. So it's all, your will is definitely working. It's whether it's working toward the right things or the wrong things, or whether it's just one of those wills that are spinning in place. Have you ever met somebody who promises that this will be the last time, this is definitely the last, it's over, it's definitely over, it's never going to happen again, and then you have to have that awkward conversation with them when you find out they're back together again. What happened? So what happened was they have a flexible will, a will that can be persuaded. One sorry is often enough. And by the way, it shouldn't be enough. It must be sorry accompanied by works of repentance. How many of you know works of repentance are very important? If somebody uh, is bad for you and they say sorry, that's not yet enough. That's the first start, the first step. What they must first do is demonstrate works of repentance. They must behave better over enough period of time so you can tell that they've changed. By the way, the same is true in our relationship with the Lord. When we say to, sorry to the Lord, it wipes away our sins. But if we want to inherit our 
destiny, then we must behave fruits of repentance. Fruits of repentance don't get us to heaven. They get us heaven's plan for earth. That's very important. Is that, is that capable? Repentance gets you to heaven because that's climbing on the, on the, on the cross of Christ. But fruits of repentance gets us heaven on earth. And I think we have to distinguish what those look like. So my scripture is in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I want to take you through a fairly hectic scripture, but it's very powerful. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, very intense, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, Oh, wait, is that there? Who's forbidding it? In Jesus' name, I rebuke that lying demon. Let the saints get married appropriately. And command some, oh, this is going to get very sensitive now. And command some to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. This passage of scripture is a caution that we can get caught up in putting our willpower towards things that are not eternally important. So here's what the scripture says. It's not saying nobody should be a vegetarian. I know there are some vegetarians here. God bless you. I don't feel that I should be at the top of the food chain only to eat the stuff at the bottom of the food chain. So I am struggling with that. Next thing you're eating plankton because it's got minimum effect. I don't, I'm not there. Okay, but it's not saying you shouldn't. It's also not saying, you know, marriage, you must marry or you mustn't marry. What it's saying is, why are you using your will? not to eat certain foods which God has blessed and you're using your will to be or not be in relationships. So you're able to do that, but somehow you're not able to walk in obedience to the Lord. Do, do you see what he's saying? So if you, if you think about somebody, I mean, and I'm not, I just want to reiterate, I'm not, but if somebody's, for instance, a, a vegetarian, and as I say, I've got some friends and some friends in this church, God bless you, a vegetarian. And if you put a steak in front of them, they go, makes me sick. That thing was alive last week, yesterday, this morning. It's, it, was, it had a name. Look at, look at Lammy. Now Lammy, now Lammy is a Sami. And people are very, so what you're doing is you've made a decision. It's implemented it into your willpower. Your willpower is rejecting something and you're even feeling repulsed based on the effect of your will. What that verse is saying is, how can you be disgusted by eating meat, but you're not disgusted by sexual immorality, you're not disgusted by lying spirit. You'll like, tolerate that, but you've got the enough will to deal with food or enough will to deal with marriage. You just don't want to apply your will somewhere else. Your will isn't the problem. The direction of your will is. They say amen. Let's take it away from food. Let's go to fashion. Oh, Hallelujah. The saints are serious about their fashion. I see that. Why is it that you can look at yourself dressed up and go, that's terrible and change? Or look at yourself and go, that looks fine, but in the cool way. 
and walk out with that. And you say to yourself, I would never, I would never, I would never be seen in public, never, without my face on. I'd never be seen in public without my, you know, teeth in order. I'd never be seen in public in my pajamas. I'd only be, uh, and, and I have seen both. I must say, some, some people, it's hard to tell when a pajama is a pajama nowadays. I, I don't know, it's become a thing now. Everything's so baggy that like a pajama is now a thing. But John says, go back to the bedroom, please. I, I would like, anyway, the point I, I would like to make about deception is that the idea is, well, I just have a weak will or I have a broken will. No, you have a will that is being deployed in things that are not of eternal consequence. You're treating them like you would never break your own rule there. But on the things of God that God has implemented, you are so busy, your will is so busy in something, it is unable to get to the things that God has called us to do. It means be less intense on some things and be more intense on righteous things until righteous things are second nature, then you can get intense on other things. There is a sense in which we have to recognize that if we don't do that, our conscience, the Bible says, is seared. It's marked by some, you know, searing is, um, is a farming term, right? Uh, when you, when you want to uh, 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 put your name uh, on, on, on an animal, you, you sear it. You, you, you put your logo on it. So what this verse is saying is that your brain has got a name on it. It's been branded by something other than the name of Christ. And therefore, your conscience is seared. So I want to talk to you about how to be set free from that. Because I, uh, the Bible is full of wonderful things we should do, but if you don't feel like doing them, uh, you're never going to enjoy the benefit of the faith. Romans chapter 12 says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another uh, above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, uh, but uh, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. All of those instructions require zeal, enthusiasm, patient, prayerful, loving, compassionate. All of these ideas require a willingness or a desire in our hearts. You know, um, a great preacher once said, it's not difficult to share your faith. It is often much more difficult to wash the feet of somebody else. See, when it comes to some things, it's easy, public uh, expression of faith, but that discreet washing of the feet, cleaning of an impure heart, that takes uh, a bit more uh, effort. I recently, a couple of weeks ago, a week or two ago, went overseas, uh, had a great time, got a tan, came back, loved it, wishing for summer. It's not here. I don't know where it is. Can we have summer, please? Um, it will come. It will come, no doubt. Um, but... I, I made a mistake. I, I watched before I traveled, I watched a few weeks ago, um, a crash investigations or something. What, what was that called? It's, a, it's a, like a history channel, a discovery channel uh, program about reasons why planes crashed. I should not have watched it. Because as I'm getting on the plane now, I think that window, it's, it, it's got a crack. It's, it's not right. Something's not right. I saw one one program where a, a whole a whole a whole plane crashed because a a uh, wasp made a nest inside of like a metal uh, a, a prod 
on the front of a plane. It went in there, made a nest overnight, and, and that prod is used to determine the height of, of, of the plane from the ground. So there I am staring at that thing as I'm walking by and I'm rebuking any wasps that could be in the area. I shouldn't have done that. It, it, it bothered me. But, but one of the other things that I, um, I, I heard or, or, or saw somewhere was that you mustn't pack too much uh, uh, luggage. It mustn't be too, your bags mustn't be too heavy because too many people with too heavy bags and the plane struggles to get off the ground. I don't know if it's true. It's got something to do with the calculation they must do, how fast they must go to get all that weight. And now, my people, the Greeks, we don't understand this thing of 7 kgs hand luggage and 23 kgs check-in luggage. We start with 23 kgs hand luggage. We don't even weigh check-in luggage. Now I'm looking at that queue of Greeks. And they, they are the same size as their luggage. As square even. There's no way. And in my heart, I'm thinking with all that, we are not taking off. This plane is going to go and go and go, run out of runway and be in the sea, trying to get off the ground. I'll get back to that in a moment. I, I, a few years ago, about 10 years ago, 20 years ago maybe, I came back from overseas and my grand was alive at the time and she gave me some fresh squeezed or pressed uh, olive oil. And I came to Johannesburg and I went to the nothing to declare which is not really true. You must declare if you're bringing fresh, you shouldn't bring fresh things anyway. And the guy, the customs officer said, anything to, the, to, to declare? I threw in a bit of closer there and I said, no, you know, all kinds of things. He said, you sure? I said, for sure. He said, sure, sure. I was taking it quite personally at this point, though I'm, you know, I'm lying. I, I, because I thought, well, the olive oil's my grands. I'm not going to make a scene now. He said, I'll show you. I said, I'm so sure. I'm just so happy to be back. Anyway, he said, that's great. He said, but you sure? <laughs> Didn't bring oil, nothing. He said, oil, nothing. I said, nothing, oil. We've got oil here in South Africa and all our shops. I can get Italian oil. I can get local oil. Nothing. It's only as I walked that I realized that the oil must have broken in my bag. Now I'm leaving an oil trail <laughs> from, <laughs> from the carousel all the way. I'm anointing that airport with olive oil. And he sees it, it's leaking there, and he's standing there making fun of me. Sure, I'm sure. What did he tell his friends about that Greek guy? You should have seen that. That Malungu came into South Africa. He's got no oil. There's an oil slick there on the ground, there behind him. I tell both of those stories because I think that you can't take off with your will because you're carrying too much baggage. And you think you've packed well, but you're leaking. And your emotions bleed everywhere and your heart is sold into the wrong things, and your will is under pressure. It's not broken, it's burdened. And why Christ has to set us free from it? See how the room changed? Now it's not so funny now. Eh? Funny, not funny. You see, Christ has to take the burden off the will so that our will can function in a healthy way. 
So there are a couple of conditions that the Bible describes in regards to our will and its ability to function in a healthy way. First of all, the Bible encourages us to be cautious of a seared will. This is a will that's been branded or marked by an event or an incident. Have you ever had somebody say, that was seared in my mind, seared in my memory, I can't get it out. Ever seen any of those jokes of, now I can't unsee that? You know, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. A seared conscience is a conscience in which something has been burnt, an event, an experience, an experimentation, a sin, an action, has burnt itself so much on your heart or on your conscience that you filter everything else through it. You have to be healed from that. It becomes incredibly necessary for Christ to heal us from a seared um, conscience. The Bible teaches us that we can have a stolen conviction. In other words, we could be robbed of something that we used to regard as valuable, but then the devil comes and steals it from us, so you diminish its value. You're, you're all too young to remember this, but in my generation, we used to buy an actual Bible uh, printed on paper. Okay, paper is parchment. Um, actually, let me tell you, I think this next generation, like if you're like 16 to 26, I'm probably offending people, but between 16 and 26, give or take, I think is the smartest, most well-rounded, uh, most authentic uh, generation ever. And I'm, are you willing to amen that? You're not willing to amen that. You don't even like, your, don't even like yourself. Uh, I worry that you are a, too clever for your own good. And that you'll want to analyze Christ instead of follow Christ. And, and that you will figure out a place for Christ, but not figure out your place in Christ. I'm really worried about that. And that would be unfortunate because your intelligence will not make you happy. Your awareness will not make you happy. Uh, in fact, it might make you sadder than my generation because my generation, we were too dumb to know when we were sad. But now you're going to be clever to know that you are sad. And that's not going to help you. You're going to come to me and ask for help. You can have a, a conviction that's stolen. When, when I bought my Bible, I, I took care of it. I polished it, a leather one, leather outside, paper inside, gold on the sides. They had these two little strings so you could find tabs. You call them tabs, that string, tabs. Copy, paste, we highlighted, but not with a copy, paste, highlighter, actual highlighter, look after it. But then after a while, uh, it's possible to devalue something because of familiarity and it sits on the shelf and now it exists, but its value is stolen from me. And you can have something stolen from you and, the, and Jesus has to restore what the devil has stolen. And there are verses in the Bible that talk about how that the the, the worm, the devil, is like a worm who comes and eats away the fruits of your, of your conviction and God has to restore uh, what the devil has stolen. 
When the Bible talks about God restoring what they did was stolen, it's not true about cars and houses and things. The Bible has so little to say about that because he just assumes you're going to have that if you live an obedient life. What God wants to restore is the spiritual values that the devil comes and corrodes over time. It's no good you have a great house, but you're too broken to make a great home. That's where that's we've got to restore, right? The Bible says that you can take too short a step uh, as part of your will. You know to make a change, so you make a small change, but it's just it's too small a change. It's like when somebody says uh, to me, uh, I'm an alcoholic and I'm not gonna stop drinking. I'm just I'm rather just gonna I'm a I'm a be I'm a be more balanced. Problem is, you've already crossed the line into illness. When you've crossed the line into illness, you can't play with that thing. You have to cut it out and remove it from your life and be fully set free. Only if you're an, if you've got a if you've got an addiction. Do you understand what I mean? It's an addiction. Once it gets there, you can't take a little step. You have to take a drastic step. If it's not an addiction, you can take a little step. You can say, "Hey, that's enough." But if it's an addiction, you have to be aggressive. And your, your will uh, will will diminish, will, will break if you don't take aggressive steps. And then the last, um, the last way the Bible describes our will can be under burden or pressure is such an awful word, but I, it fits with my alliteration. Subtle seepage. Seepage is a horrible word. It just means um, the oozing out or, or, the, or the leaking out of something of value through many small porous holes. Look, um, if you have a major cut somewhere and you're bleeding, you'll know about it, you'll want to address it because it's dramatic. But if it's little things, the devil could trick you and your, and your willpower will dilute over, over little things. So can I give you an example? Um, I set an alarm to wake up every morning at a certain time, 4.30. I've got another alarm at five. Four thirty is the time I would like to wake up. I usually do. When you get to my age, you'll do the same. I usually do at four thirty, especially in summer. I mean, by the time you guys get up, I've had half a day. Five o'clock is the time I won't sleep past. My four o'clock, four thirty alarm, flexible. Five o'clock, firm. If you've got alarms for certain things in your life, you can't hit the snooze button on everything all the time. If you've got an alarm that says, I can wake up at this time, that time, that time, and you're one of those people who got a snooze button every five minutes. Like there's some people's alarms are like, are like a code. Seven, seven fifteen, seven twenty-five, seven thirty. I mean, you've had, you're traumatized, and it's not even eight o'clock. Like there are bells and alarms going off, and you're snoozing and stopping and renewing and vibration and things. Oh, I, I couldn't. I'd be so angry by the time I woke up with all these alarms. Some of you are like that, you know, some of you are like that. Um, and and I, I just don't know where it ends. But now, what if you do that with other kinds of alarms? What if You've, you've got red flags or alarms on certain moral things and you, and you say, well, I'll hit the snooze on that and I'll wait until the next red flag. So he swears at you 
and you go, it's a red flag, but I'll hit the snooze on that and we'll carry on and see how it goes. Then he holds you up against the wall in anger one day and you go, well, doesn't do that often. I'll snooze on that and I'll see how it goes. Then he gives you a black eye. Okay, so where's the, where's the alarm? The alarm was way over here when he blew up in anger and started swearing at you. You shouldn't allow it to leak until it got to there. Do you see what you're doing with your conscience? You're training your conscience. An alarm means nothing. You're training it. doesn't mean anything. Don't worry about that. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. By the time you finally get there, now you're traumatized. And your will feels broken. And then the person comes to me and I think to myself, how did you allow this person? Are you a weak-willed person? No. What happened is you trained your will to tolerate something, it can be untrained and you can come right back to healing and restoration where you can be healthy and whole in the power of your will. Jesus can renew you in that way. So then how do you gain the upper hand in the five or six minutes we've got left? Second Corinthians chapter 7 says this, For observe this very thing that uh, you sorrowed, you repented, in a godly manner. Uh, and this is, two dots, uh, this is how you did it. You did it with diligence. It produced in you the clearing of yourselves, indignation, fear, vehement desire, zeal, vindication. In all things, you prove yourself to be clear in these matters. It describes the actions of somebody who wants their will whole. So it says, when I repent of something, I want something out of my life, I want to turn away from it. I'm going to do a few things that will set me up for a win. The first thing it says is um, you take some action. You clear yourself. You take some kind of action. I've, I've called this the ABCD because I have four. It would be nice to go ABC, but first of all, an, an action. You know, um, every time you take an action in the right direction, you improve the power of your will. Uh, having an intention in the right direction does not improve your will. Only an action does. An intention improves your desire. But an action improves your will. You've got to take an action. I mean, desire, you know, an intention's cool. Oh, I'd love to one day. Oh, my desire for it is growing. One day I'm a, you know, go hiking. It's a recent thing in my life. Uh, you look at photos about it. You talk to friends about it. And you, you talk about it. Intention. You build a desire. You have done absolutely nothing until you take an action. If you buy hiking boots, you improve your will. Now you say, I must do this. Until then, just this desire. Don't confuse desire with will. Just because you have a feeling doesn't mean you have a will. If you have intentions, you build desires. I really want to get to church. That builds my desire. Eventually, you will want to fulfill your desire. Taking an action, though, is phoning a friend and saying, I haven't been to church in a while. I'm a bit embarrassed. I want to go to church. Don't you want to come with me? That action radically improves the power of your will. Right? It improves the power of your will. So, second, uh, bracing yourself. 
um, whenever I want my will to get better, I get support. I brace myself. Um, in a cheesy way, I get rid of stuff I shouldn't be eating. I don't buy them anymore. I don't have them in my house. In a spiritual or more meaningful way, um, I will literally brace myself and ask a friend to phone me and say, ask me, what did you read in the Bible today? How many of you know about know Steve Harvey, right? The comedian. I don't act like you're so spiritual that you watched him. Steve Harvey tells a very interesting, I mean, I can never quite tell where he is spiritually. I mean, he's can be super spiritual and then super rude. Um, but he's got a super cool dress sense. Um, and, and he definitely married up. But um, <laughs> now she's cool, eh? Marjorie. Steve Harvey is who he is because of Marjorie, let me tell you. He gets off track. She'd be killing him. Um, but he made an interesting point. There was a time in his life where he got fired and... Um, years before, and he felt like a failure and he couldn't get himself motivated and he told a former boss of his, a white guy, incidentally, that he was feeling down. And this guy said to him, can I commit to helping you get out of that? And, and he said, sure. See, Bobby tells us, go look it up on his shorts. It's on YouTube shorts. And this guy phoned him every morning at 7 a.m. And for the first few days, Steve Harvey didn't answer. In the third or fourth time, he tells the story how irritated he was because this guy was so positive. Steve Harvey, today is going to be a great day, Steve. Are you out of bed yet? This day is waiting for you. What a powerful day this day is going to be. And you are going to be powerful in this day. He was so grumpy and angry and hungover and drunk. He's like, oh, I don't need this guy. That guy did it every day for 60 days that it is programmed in Steve Harvey's brain. You get out of bed, you say, today's going to be a great day. This day is my day. It's going to be a powerful day, and I am looking forward to this day. Brace yourself. Get some people who speak willpower into your heart. You can do this. You've got this. God's got you. Thirdly, clearing some things. Man, you need to delete some photos on your albums. You need to delete some WhatsApp conversations, then delete the actual contact. You need to get some books out of your house and get rid of them. You need to stop keeping memorabilia about things you don't want to have a memory about. You need to burn them, sell them, put them on Facebook Marketplace, I don't care if you loved them when they gave them to you. They don't mean anything now. Get a couple of hundred bucks. Go get yourself a cup of coffee and move on. Baggage. Too much weight. You've got to clear the deck. Do you know how many people in this room are unable to receive what God has for you because your hands are full of all the broken stuff you brought with you on your journey so far? And you couldn't pick up a blessing even if God put it down. Now clear it. Let's clear it. Now you can't do that to your wife or your husband. You can't look at them and say, I was in church today. I'm putting you on Facebook Marketplace tonight. There are some things you fight for. But there are some things, why are you fighting for them? I get so, it's so disappointing to you. You know, young people especially, you clever lot. 
You use phrases that are just scary. Oh, I miss my friend. I miss my ex. I can't live without them. No, you will. You'll be fine. What's that seriously old song? I can get another in a minute. Look at you saints acting like you don't know. I'm about to break out in a J-Lo song. Look at you behaving so righteous. It's in the box to the left. On your way out, you can just put your burden. (laughs) Okay, moving on. I'm sorry I said that. And then then thirdly, desiring. Um, So intentions create desires. Desires create actions. Actions produce will. So you do have to build your desire. Uh, A good prayer to praise God make me hungry and thirsty after righteousness. It's a good prayer to pray. Uh, Maybe stop praying for things and pray to become the person that God would give things to. So Lord, would you please filter my heart, change my heart, and give me a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. So when you get hungry, uh, when you build a desire for something, you'll find a way of fulfilling it. Have you noticed that if you build a desire long enough, you'll eventually find a strategy to fulfill your desire? No matter what the obstacle is. Say now, you decide at the end of the service, which will end in 27 seconds. Say now, you decide, I want a KFC after this service. I'm just putting it there. I don't know why you're reacting like that because I think we should have a KFC right here and where else one. But say now you, you really want a KFC. Maybe you just want to go lights, just a little streetwise too, just a little, just a little sunbite, a little snack. Oh, look how this is working. Can you smell it? That kernel and its 11 herbs and spices. Now, let me tell you you why. So we build a desire. Oh, it's very nice. It's fresh. And you check. I don't have my wallet. Who else is here? Let me find my friend. Hey, buddy. You're not keen for a streetwise five. Well, it can't be a two now. There's two of you. It's barely enough to... You get me this time, I'll get you next time. Okay, okay, maybe, maybe we'll have to Uber there. Okay, okay. You don't have change, eh? nothing, nothing, just a little extra. Oh, let's, we'll scratch in the car. Isn't it interesting that you can take an action, you can brace yourself by going next to a friend, you can clean out the cubby hole to find what you need, and go and fulfill the desire of a KFC. But when you have to learn how to pray, you can't find a friend. who will phone you up and say, have you prayed today? Let's get you praying. Let's get that thing. Let's brace your actions so you can get going. And then once you've braced it, just clean all the other stuff that's nonsense in your life. Clear it out the way. If Netflix is the problem, put it on mute. If your phone is the problem, put it on airplane mode. Come, let's brace ourselves. Why can our will be deployed for earthly things and not deployed for righteous things? It is the deception of the devil. It's where I started. 
in the latter days, people will be led astray from the faith and will give their ear to doctrines of demons and hypocrisies of lies. It's just a lie. You do have a will. Let Christ lead it. And don't let your will be deceived into something else. Your will is fine. It just needs to be set free, loosed in the right direction. And you'll have all the will you need to fulfill all the instructions and intentions of God. Can you say amen to that? Would you stand with me as we pray? So there are some people up front here, they're not, uh, they're not being awkward. Um, they're all trained and approved to be able to pray for you. We encourage in our church uh, for guys to pray for guys and ladies to pray for ladies. And if everybody's occupied, hey, just wait a moment. We will be here as long as you need a prayer. We're not going anywhere. But we do want to cultivate that culture and encourage it. And then there's, I think, starting point happening and there's the guest lounge where you could go and introduce yourself and there's Warehouse One and we ran out of popcorn tonight, so that's a sin. And we'll fix it next week. I like running out of stuff because I can't wait till we run out of chairs. Oh, that's going to be so good. But I don't want you to run away until you've had a prayer. Tonight I'm going to pray that God will strengthen you in your will. There is a verse in the Bible that says, for it is God who works in us to will according to his good purpose. When God works in us, we feel our will to please him arise. So that's what I'm going to pray for tonight. Lord, thank you for the power we've been bestowed by having a will. Unlike anything in all creation, we choose to love you, follow after you, and be in obedience to you. Nature is created to worship you and does so by design. But we get to do so by affection and, and by desire. Tonight, Lord, I pray that every burdened will will be set free in Jesus' name. Every seared conscience that has some event or circumstance that marked it will be healed in the name of Jesus tonight. And that our will and conscience will be perfectly stayed upon you, having no baggage and no luggage that we are set free so that when we see an instruction in Scripture, we have a desire to fulfill it. Will you please give us back our will? We take it back from the devil who comes to steal, kill and destroy in the name of Jesus. We take back our will and own it as a tool and instrument for our victory. Thank you for setting us free in Jesus' name. And everybody said, would you give God a shout of praise and worship and thanksgiving?